Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. All right, here we are again for another episode. I think I'm going to try to say the same thing every time this podcast comes on. Here we are again for another intro. Once again. It's a little Casey Kasem. Do you remember that guy? Oh, dude, yeah. seriously. How, how do you remember him? Uh, I, I'm an you're, old soul. You're too young. You're too young, young to remember Here's the request and dedication. top 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we're back geez. in the studio, and we're the gift we're going to give to the listening audience today is a conversation with Jim Cress. And this guy, when you listen to him talk, you're like, please tell me more. He's just one of those kind of dudes. Man, uh, Jim is, uh, you know, his background in kind of radio broadcasting, uh, and I think I say it in the episode, you know, I always tell him, Jim, you have you have such a great face for radio. This is true. Uh, yeah, and uh, I do that to him every time. Um, and I'm sure it's not the first time he's gotten that. But, but his, um, man, just uh, listening to him speak, and uh, I've been in many different settings with him, and uh, he's just really one of the best um, communicators that I've, I've, I've that I know that yeah. I've heard, uh, and it's just powerful because it's not just it's not just bloviating. Uh, man, there's meat on the bone. It's so good, good stuff. Yeah, and it, so the thing that took me by surprise in this conversation is that he, he talks about four questions and the way that he rolls those questions out. And time frame is banked within there, like as we're entering into a process of recovery, relational recovery, recovery of ourselves. And he just seems to be one of those guys that rolls out like, all right, here's where we are. There's a process to get to where we want to be. We got to be honest about the work. Wouldn't you say he's one of those guys? Oh, man, just and, and he, he just can do it in such a um, creative way. Um, and and he's got all kinds of gymisms as, yeah. as we call them. He, exactly. I think he, he talks about it, but yeah, I, yeah, he he really does. I mean, we have some of them even in our book, um, and uh, I, I think I gave him credit for most of them. It's hard because he's got so many. He does have a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I can guarantee our listeners this: after this episode, they're going to want to go to the local big box store and mm. buy a hard hat. And put some stickers on it. Oh, yeah. It's like a huge part, pivotal part of his instructions and stories today. So yeah. without further delay, let's give you Jim Cress. We uh, got a special guest today, uh, one of our dear friends and uh, certainly uh, somebody that's that's offered us a lot uh, in our work and uh, in, our, uh, in our practice. And, um, man... Um, uh, we have with us today, uh, Mr. Jim Press. Uh, Jim is a, um, a former Christian radio broadcaster. He was I thought you were going to say former Christian, dude. <laughs> well, you got me going. I'm like, I'm sitting here listening. It's good. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah, it's like the Jim is a former Christian. Like, well. Hey, yeah. Okay, some days that's true. Some ben, days that's edit, true. Edit that part. Edit that where it actually just says Jim is a former Christian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, let's do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, after continue uh, on, wax eloquent about me. Please, yes, bro. yes, the, the good, yeah. the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jim has a background uh, in radio. Oh, you know, always I, I tell him often, um, man, uh, you just have such a great face for radio. Uh, Thank you, Ron. Yeah, so kind. yeah, um, and uh, Jim. Uh, out of that, I think he knows everybody in Christendom because uh, I've been with Jim in different settings. And it's like, I mean, he he's friends with like the, the Christian celebrity pastor types. Uh, this was and I learned a lesson a long time ago about name dropping <laughs> Billy Graham. I was actually privately with Billy Graham and he encouraged me and admonished me not to name drop. So we, <laughs> I just, I, I promised Billy, you know, I call him Billy, uh, that I would not name drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, dude, this, we, we could do this for like six hours or something. We could take this on the road. Actually. I think so. Um, yeah, sure. Man, uh, you know, I, uh, just certainly just for our listeners, you know, Jim is uh, kind of one of the um, uh, key people uh, in the American Association of Christian Counselors. Um, uh, uh, just uh, we, we love AACC. Uh, Jim is just a, a huge part of that um, and do, does a lot through that. Um, also, um, I'm not violating HIPAA, uh, but um, He's done uh, a lot of work with Lisa Turkus. Uh, Lisa's had him on his, uh, she's the Proverbs 31 woman, or Proverbs, what's the name of her ministry? Proverbs 31 Ministries. There it is. Yeah, You're right there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, Lisa's had Jim on her uh, video podcast, and uh, I know you've written, a, you wrote a piece in her book. Uh, is that is that one released yet? Or is It'll be in the fall called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. She writes the book, and then every chapter she hands it to me, and I comment on more on the, the boundary side of things. So uh, it'll be Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. And uh, our, our video series is simply called Therapy and Theology. So we do the theology side. Me, Lisa, and Joel Moldamale, who's on there, um, Dr. Joel. And uh, so it's pretty cool mentoring uh, or merging together uh, therapy and theology. And uh, the vision there was a lot of people can't afford therapy. And you and I both know most people statistically don't go to therapy. So they go to YouTube, therapy and theology. If they put that in, there's a whole bunch of videos on narcissism and emotional healing, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it was kind of a pretty cool vision uh, just to be able to let people get some therapy and tie it into theology as well. Yeah, man, it is. I would certainly affirm that. Uh, even I've listened to it, and uh, man, it is it is excellent. Uh, because you know, I mean, a lot of the, you know, real Christians, you know, they don't believe in that that therapy stuff, right? All that all that psycho babble, man. That's that's, that's right. That's the devil. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it it is excellent uh, in in kind of tying those two together. Uh, just kind of integrated, yeah. and I don't we don't we sing songs about Jesus being the master counselor and wonderful counselor, and I don't know. Uh, like, Jesus they... is a wonderful <laughs> counselor. Whoa, glory, hallelujah! Yeah, that's a real song. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's in Handel's Messiah, and yeah, yeah that is true. Yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it certainly doesn't uh, seem like people think of him in those terms, but 
as you and I've talked. You know what is interesting, Ron? I know you know this, but let's throw a little New Testament Greek at people. Seriously, is the word therapy comes from the Greek word therapuo, which is, means I heal or the one who heals. So in the name, and sometimes they, you know, our words frame our reality. We're not even looking at the etymology or the understanding of the word. And so when you hear the word therapy, it literally just means healing. We are agents, and you know that we're agents of healing. Mm. You know, Man. yeah. And and I, you know, I, I know you do, and I've watched you do it, uh, uh, helped you do it, uh, worked with you doing it. Um, this idea of experiential uh, therapy. Um, yeah. And man, it is, you know, I, I certainly, uh, I know you know it, um, believe it, and I do too. You know, that that work is uh, so much more powerful and effective uh, than like some just sitting on the couch and cognitively yeah. talking about whatever the issue is. Uh, because in that experience. Well, and, and Jesus, as you know, was, let's, let's call him that. He was a very experiential therapist, healer, mm. person. We know he is God, yes. And so, you know, turning water into wine, the first miracle at the wedding at Cana, uh, you know, spitting on some 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 dirt and rubbing in a person's eyes. And then the, the experiential part of really experiential theology, right, of being baptized and water and healing and in the new covenant. If you go down and look at things, um, there were so many things where he was, you know, the, the loaves and fishes, all of that is experiential. This is not a new modern phenomenon. And we say that anything you can show us, if you come in for counseling, anything you can show us or anything you can tell us, you can show us. And that's all. It is such a simple concept. And some people have been over coffee and say, well, let me draw this out on a napkin. They've done it. Every, everybody does that. Life is experiential. So it's not, not experiential, although that's in there some, but it's experiential. We're just saying, let's Let's, let's show this way. And, and remember, Jesus taught experientially with parables, and he's, the Word of God says, indeed, he never taught without a parable. So that's all, that experiential, that story, that narrative, like, oh, yeah, there once was a man, there was a rich man, there was Lazarus, and it's all that's experiential. Oh, yeah, man. And I always say, I think the, uh, you know, one of the greatest examples uh, is, you know, uh, the healing of, of, or the kind of restoring healing of Peter. After he had denied Jesus three times, and um, yeah. we all, well, not everybody, but uh, many of us know the story. And, uh, you know, Jesus, I guess he could have could have pulled Peter over behind the boat, right? Like, hey, yeah. Peter, Peter, I, I just want you to know, man, I forgive you. <laughs> uh, but, but <laughs> you know, uh, I think Jesus kind of knew the drill, right, man? He knew yes. that Peter needed, it, it was the shame, you know, Peter had denied his you know, his, his, I mean, his, his dear friend, someone he loved and, and, you know, Peter was, you know, he was wallowing in his shame and man, Jesus does group therapy, right? I mean, yeah. and it was experiential, you know, he recreates the exact scene because we always talk about, you know, what, what, what is, it is, what is hurt in relationship, um, you know, has to be healed in relationship and it yes. has to be an emotional experience. And so Jesus just, man, Jesus does experiential group therapy right there on the, on the show. Right. <laughs> Love that. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and so, man, I always, I think you said it, you know, it's not, it's not experimental therapy. 
it, 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 you know, sometimes, uh, just even watching you work, uh, you, you, you kind of will, you're kind of like a mad scientist and you'll just see something in a room and you go and man, you grab that thing and, and you do a piece of work with it as we call it. Yeah. It's exper- yeah. it's an experience. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it is, it's just so creative and certainly I think that's yeah. what, who Jesus was and what he did. Um, so man, um, uh, you know, I think, I think you and I, boy, we could, we could chase rabbits and we could go in a hundred different directions. Uh, that is true. And, um, and it would be a lot of fun doing that. And, and we probably will some, but, you know, just, um, and certainly today and for our listeners, Jim, um, you know, and, and just the, the work that you've done and, um, uh, you know, not, we're not going to do your story. I think your story's out there like, like, you know, ours is mine and Eva's. And yeah, I always tell people just, you know, just Google my name and you can hear my story. Um, but certainly, uh, you and I, uh, both, um, in recovering from sexual brokenness, um, yep. you know, that's kind of our preferred term that we use. And I know you use that term too. And because oftentimes mm-hmm. if you say, sex addiction or something you know that, that conjures up you know the guy at the playground in his trench coat driving around in his ice cream van um, yeah you're either a pervert or you're it's a joke like yeah i'm a sex and the, the late night comedians all did that when bill clinton's story broke and others oh and yeah it's like yeah yeah i'm a sex addict too i like lots of sex so there is a nomenclature you and i would use in the in the field of course as many do and we understand behind that it's just why do we would we ever use the word addiction? You know why, folks? AA found this out. It gives us a uh, it gives us a system of what to treat. That it's trauma based. It is attachment based. It is you know what you don't work out, you'll act out, and it does involve so many neurochemicals in the body that it becomes like an addiction. Like you, you it's obsessive. It's compulsive. You try to stop and you can't. You're hiding secrets. So that's the only word if we ever use that term is a medical community still doesn't pretty much recognize the term. So yeah, I'm with you on sexual brokenness or sexual infidelity, you know, is to like, look and say, you know, there's either way, Houston, we've had a problem. You know, I don't care what we call it, but I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, cause uh, you know, I've heard you say it, you know, words frame our reality and certainly, you know, if, if it's a partner, um, um, uh, a wife, a spouse, um, and, and now you're getting labeled with this idea of like, oh, he's a sex addict. I mean, there's there's almost a hopelessness associated with that. And and so um I just think, you know, the language is important. And yeah, we, we will use the term addiction. Um uh but it just all that does is give us a framework. Um, um you know, I I talk about the idea of um, you know, and really I think when you break it down you know, what, what we're dealing with, uh, is, is really, uh, a distress reduction behavior yeah. because, you know, this stuff started in childhood. Uh, so often, uh, there's trauma, um, of, of some form or fashion. Um, and then, uh, we, we figure out, you know, masturbation, pornography. Um, but we're also, what we're developing, uh, is a very, uh, well-defined uh, you know, coping behavior. And yeah. so what are we coping with? 
you know, we're coping with this emotional distress and we're, we're trying to dissipate that energy of the distress. And so it, these distress reduction behaviors, um, and, and when we start working with someone and you look at the, you know, kind of what's going on in their lives when acting out is ramping up, and what we always see, you know, some form of emotional distress. That's yeah. just stress and anxiety um, or some life event, some circumstance. And I'm under tremendous distress. And boy, I remember, you know, that old way of coping. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and it works, you know, like a surgeon with a laser scalpel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, just, you, you know, question and as far as like when you um kind of get somebody walking into your office and you know all hell is broken loose and you've got you know two emotionally dysregulated people uh because everybody's spinning um yeah oh yeah i've i've started even using the term uh discovery trauma on kind of the 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 addict side of the fence if you will oh yeah because You know, it's like this thing that I didn't want anybody to know that I was going to take to my grave uh, is now out in the light. You know, the cat's out of the bag and the Mm -hmm. cat's schizophrenic. Um, And But, man, I was going to take that to my grave. And now um, I'm emotionally dysregulated because um, I didn't have emotional regulation skills to begin with. That's right. And and now my spouse um, is emotionally dysregulated because she's found out all this information and now she's dealing with, you know, betrayal trauma, which is very real, and everybody's spinning. Um, And what what do you do kind of out of the gate um, when when that shows up in your office? Well, even as you speak of an emotional dysregulation, think about a heartbeat just in regular rhythm and and it's it's regulated or or just if you've ever been sick and your body's kind of dysregulated and you start feeling better and you say I'm back in that level of rhythm and regulation what I do Ron is I go to ground zero I literally have a hard hat with a, a red hard hat with American flag in my office I point to it where I went with a small group of counselors when the towers came down in 2001 and I said that's where that hard hat came from and I went in and we were all stunned. Uh, Beth Moore was down there. She has a blue hard hat with American flag on in, in her heart, in her uh, office or in her home. And she was speaking. Several people spoke during that small gathering. And she, I, she, I went down to a private tour of Ground Zero with her later. Uh, someone who'd heard me on the radio and said, I'd like to take you back down. And she said, I just feel like I'm over my head right now. And I said, Beth, we're all over our head right now because everybody was. So that level, it's like an analogy to go, we were over our head, but you know, we went down there and it was silent. We had to look and say, what's it like to look here in ground zero, walking across tangled beams? I did it, uh, running my hand down the side of a building and just debris and dust. And that was right outside ground zero. And I remember the biggest thing that got me, and I share this with my clients, is uh, I was on the air three hours a day as a broadcaster at that time. And I'd watched the news, uh, being a newsman myself, and watched so much of the coverage, but what I couldn't do is the olfactory senses, the smell. And as soon as we went into ground zero, of course, the quiet, the jackhammers, the search and rescue, but the smell was overwhelming. Everything smelled burned. 
scorched earth, right? And nobody thought we're now going to build one day, which they did, two memorials over here. Won't they be beautiful with waterfalls? Waterfalls, been there, saw them, and did one Freedom Tower. Went to the top of the Freedom Tower in 2016 with my entire family. Nobody knew it. We were in a we were in a graveyard. We were in an active place. So I say to people, we're at ground zero. Like both of you sitting there, the towers are down. And there is no gear. Hey, in Jesus' name, we're going to rebuild. I don't know that. So we've got to explore. And you need a guide. You need someone who can help you. And it's going to take some time. Trust will be rebuilt only over time, plus provable, reliable experience. So I start in the mall would be the red dot at the, on the directory, right? You are here. So I start. I do practice to try to get them more emotionally regulated. Maybe I send one of them out. And I work with them or see if they have their own therapist. And then we begin to say, I want to get the narrative, the story out. What has happened? Has it been either one of two D-Days, either discovery or disclosure? And then be able to, as I like to say, tell them, you may not be able to hear it today. I'm telling anybody listening to this podcast. We have actually, we have more help and hope than you have problems. I got to cast a vision. And yet, so there's the vision. We'll get you through this. I don't have to be an expert in the field, but I have an expertise. We will get you through this. And if you can't see that today, if you want to try to trust me, we'll get you through that. And then we begin, as I've said, you got to collect the dots, then connect the dots, and then correct the dots. We need to go. And then I always look, as you do, we use this thing called a trauma egg. It's their life story and pictures. Is I move eventually toward, let's go back before any of this happened and get the story out. Because I need the back narrative. Of, of what, you know, I'm like, this just didn't happen out of a vacuum. So there's a back narrative. If it's hysterical, the acting out, it's historical. So that's part of it. That's not done in one hour, and you know that. But to begin to get the narrative and slowing everything down saying, we are here. Mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. So let me get out of this. And should I forgive him? Like, nope, questions not for today. We just got to say, this is where we are and the sacredness of ground zero. That's that's where I start. Yeah, um, you know we we often we say you know I and I don't know you know there's there's no greater crisis uh, in a marriage relationship than when uh, infidelity uh, betrayal uh, comes to light. Uh, how whatever that looks like, whether it's in you know we're on the I I, I do air quotes uh, whether it's just porn. Because uh, oh, yeah. so many guys minimize that, uh, or whether it's you know an affair, multiple affairs, um, uh, you know, prostitutes, strip joint, you know, it just this thing runs the gamut, right? And mm-hmm, um, but it, it is it is infidelity, uh, and it is betrayal, uh, and boy, when that when that hits the table, you know, all hell breaks loose, and and it is just, I mean, it's like major crisis mode, and. You know, I guess I, the only thing that I've seen that might come close to, well, certainly may surpass that, would be the death of a child. But I don't, I mean, this, it, it is major crisis level. And so, you know, I, it, in some ways, I, I think we're, we're selling hope, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. Just like, man, there, there is hope. Uh, you know, we've, we've been there. Uh, we've seen many others get through this and heal from it. And so, boy, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's touch and go there, you know, for those, those, those for however long that time period is. Uh, and I think, 
um, you know, talk about the idea, Jim, because um, it, it's like, you know, early on uh, with the one that's been betrayed, boy, we just, we've got to comfort that hurt. And um, I think, you know, that's just a critical first step. Very much. And I use, you know, you know me well enough that I have all kind of little corny. So many people call them Jimisms now. That's fine. And my H-U-B, like a hubcap, hub, the hub of the very center, is something I just made up one day. And I use it, especially with what we call partners, as you and even know, the, the spouse of, wife of, girlfriend, whoever of, a partner of someone who's been unfaithful. And the H is, if I don't do anything else as a therapist, now I'm talking to both of them, but mainly thinking about the wife or partner. And that is H is, I hear you. Because they won't feel heard. Like, yeah, yeah, and the other person's over there saying, but at least I wasn't, as you said, like that guy or whatever. And we don't even know if he's fully disclosed yet. H is, I hear you. I want you to know I hear you. You is, I understand you, or I am really trying to understand you. Because they feel cray-cray up in there. They feel crazy. Many of the partners have told us. They it's like, and people aren't going to believe me or thinking, you need to forgive him in Jesus' name. So H, I hear you. You is, I understand you. And be as I believe you. And I've had more women say to me that that was one of the most helpful things. Um, you know, I mean, she's out of me as her therapist, Lisa Turker is the author and speaker. And she said, and, and I someday still go, really? She says, that was the most helpful thing you did. I mean, in the trenches of working with her, that you said, I believe you. Because sometimes a person will feel crazy. And I don't get ahead of them, but I hear you. You, I understand you. And be, I believe you. And let them get their story out and i've, I've kind of as you all you and eva do i keep nuancing and learning and i hate to tell you but i do do some experimental things like saying all right who died and made a rule that i can't do three weeks worth of intensive with some people they go to treatment they're there for 45 days you know that so that who's made this rule up and some people and a lot of times what i've started doing is saying to the partner here's the deal now, we can get into how much money he has spent in his acting out. And by the way, do billable hours of your career. I didn't, I got it all free porn or the affair cost me nothing. No, it's cost you a lot. Carnes, the founder of our field says you have to grieve the loss of the addiction and the many losses of the addiction or you won't get better. So I'll say put billable hours, how much time you wasted more time around that addiction than you thought. But I've said so that, you know, recovery requires the three M's, right? It requires money. Mucus, you're going to cry, and mystery. The mystery of how do I change? So I'll say with the partners, if I'm working with them, I'm also a certified partner trauma therapist. And I'll say, we're going to just, I'm going to sit with you and let you just process out loud. Yes, I can use EMDR, uh, you know, brain trauma healing uh, science, if you will. But to say, I want you to sit with me, not with him in the room, where he's like, what? Or she, and I'll say, you can be, you can cuss in my room. You can say anything you want. I'm going to try not to let you get you know, massively dysregulated and your anger, but you can get it out. And I sit and I listen with the partner and say, and I do three words, tell me more. Or she comes to the end of a narrative or these words, is there more? So I want to continue to get the pus out of the wound slowly. And sometimes I've taken days, like in an into most of my work now is just intensives, three or four day intensives. And they come back in. And we're processing, letting them get the narrative out because there's a lot in there. You know, we get alarmed as we should with another school shooting here or something else in the news or back to real 9-11 or, you know, we're in a COVID pandemic still. We're in a 
We're in a mental health pandemic. We are. We're in a porn-demic. And people are like, whoa, can you believe that on the news? We need to, on that macro level, go down to the micro level when a woman especially has been betrayed by her spouse, boyfriend, somebody she's in a relationship with, and be have the shock and awe there versus, okay, it's like, no, we, we don't want a laissez-faire approach. And I try to work as you do to get the guy to go, this is an issue. I mean, this is a breaking news. This is a big deal. We've got to take it seriously. Yeah. You know that um, it, it, I, I think, you know, we talked about this in, in using the term partner. Um, you know, I love the way Eva frames it um, because, you know, we get, we've, we've been in, uh, dealing with this in recovery uh, since 1990. And, you know, back then there was just very little help. Um, certainly on the partner side, uh, nobody was working with that. Um, there was some at that point, uh, for, for on the, on the actor outer side, the addict side. Um, but you know, the evolution, uh, in the work with the partners, you know, Eva always talks about, you know, when she first showed up, uh, she was, she was, she was a codependent, right? And, um, and then, you know, that later evolved and she was a co-addict and, and, and then, you know, now it's evolved and now we use the term partner. Um, and you know, a lot of, uh, just, you know, kind of the evolution of the, of the language, um, boy, they, you know, the, the, the partners that, that term co-addict was just, boy, that you get rocks thrown at you if they, yeah. If you use that today in the counseling office, um, uh, and then, you know, even, even codependent, uh, but you know, the way yeah. Eva frames that it's like, you know, she, she always says that, you know, I identify with all three because she says, I, I am codependent. Uh, I, 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 I was a co-addict. Um, I am a co-addict or can be. And, um, she identifies with that, and she talks about being a co-addict, not necessarily uh, me as her drug, but certainly the relationship and trying to seek all of her safety um, in, in how I was, what I was doing, and how I was acting. And, um, and so she just, she, she frames it in the terms she identifies with all three, you know, co-addict, codependent, and partner. Um, and she, yeah, kind of, I like that. Yeah. Um, and so it just, you know, in, in doing, uh, work with the couple, um, uh, I know you've like talked about the four questions, uh, in, in relationship, um, uh, those, those, those kind of critical questions, um, in the relationship, mm-hmm. uh, talk about that for a minute. Yeah, well, I, I borrow uh, four questions from the book of Nehemiah that, as you know, I've done a lot of teaching on because it's so practical. And so we have, if you look at it, <clears throat> which we will know, of course, not have time to go through the whole thing. We'll get the four questions here real quickly. But the scenario is it's ground zero. The scenario is it's discovery or disclosure in a marriage and a partnership where the walls are down and the gates. I like that the gates are destroyed by fire. The gates of my life where I let good things come in and back and I communicate in and out. The gates are destroyed, trusting each other. Nehemiah weeps and mourns for days, actually for about three months. And then he goes into the king and he says, um, and somebody asks him, he says, how are we doing there? He asks his brothers, Han and I, his brother, and says, 
how are things there? What's it like? You know, let's make the metaphor. What's it like in your marriage right now? We are in great trouble and shame. That's where a lot of people come into our offices. So that's where it starts in Nehemiah. When they're Nehemiah one, they're in great trouble and shame. And Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king, so he has an all-access pass. He walks into the king, and very interesting. The king does something that I wish more of us did on the friendship level, the pastoral level, the therapy level. And the king looks at him. Nehemiah says he was very much afraid. The king looks at him and says, "Hey, and here's the four. Here are the four questions." He looks and says, "Hey." You, by the way, in the context, you don't want to come into the king's presence when you're the cupbearer. You don't want to come in looking squirrely or sad. And he says, hey, the king says, I see your face. Ah, he notices. You look sad, and I know you're not sick. This could only be a sadness of the heart. Question number one that I use is to say to any person, what's up? Or, hey, I see you. What's going on? See, a lot of times we see a person. Don't ask that, man. You'll be here all day or whatever. Or we have a platitude to give them. Question one is, hey, I'm curious. What's really going on? Nehemiah says, here's what's going on. It's congruent. What you see is what you get. I am sad because the city, what's the history? Like our family, our lives, our, our lineage. He said, the city of my father's graves in my home lies in ruins. Again, walls down, gates destroyed by fire. Does it make sense, King? This is why I'm sad. Question one is, what's going on? Question two is the scariest question I ever ask in counseling, proven time and time again. C.S. Lewis talked about about longing. Jesus talked about it about thirst. So the king says, okay, now I see why you're sad. That makes sense. So what are you requesting? What do you want? I put in there the language of, so what do you really want? You see, in therapy, we know this. The presenting problem is seldom the real problem. And Jesus would say, what are you really thirsty for? Like the woman at the well again. And the king says, I hear that. So I say to people, what do you want? I want my marriage to be better. That's it. Or I want to stop masturbating to porn. That's it. It's a good thing. What do you really want? Mindful of C.S. Lewis saying, y'all, we're all far too easily satisfied. See, God's made us, designed us to have a holiday at your favorite beach, a vacation at the beach, when we're content to keep making mud pies in a slum. There is a deeper longing there's a deeper want inside all of us. So the question is not what you want. How can I help? It's what do you really want right now? And a lot of times in Discovery Room, people don't know. And you and I help. And Eva, Jessica is a coach now, my wife. It's like we help people discover what they really, 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 really want. Question one is what's going on? Question two is what are you really asking for here? I'll help you because you may not be asking for the right thing. Question three is a classic one, especially in our sexual uh, infidelity healing world. Question three, and this is about the second biggest question I see in counseling that people struggle with. The king says, all right, now I know what you want. I see why you're sad. How long is this going to take to work on this? How long will you be gone to go rebuild? I know you want to rebuild your marriage, life, whatever. How long is this going to take? It says it pleased the king when Nehemiah set a time. Nehemiah said about this long. It took him 52 days to rebuild that city. And he's with a lot of work. Carnes, uh, Patrick Carnes, the founder and guru of our field, says still it's probably about a two to five year plan. If you've had this devastation of betrayal, this is not going to be quick loop. You know, you're not going to go and get an oil change in 10 minutes. So the idea is, how long will it take? Second, will you be committed? This is a journey. This is not, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And people will ask us, won't they? How long is it going to take to really work on this? Oh, yeah. A long time. In our partner field now, we know now more and more, and I believe it, 
the data is revealing, and I think it's as much anecdotal as it is empirical data, is it's going to take a lot longer for a partner slash wife to heal than we knew. It's going to take a long time. Yeah, the nomenclature, co-addict, all that's changing, but you better gear up. And that's the cry of the Old Testament. The number one thing you see in the Old Testament as far as a cry from the heart is, how long, O Lord? So how long is it going to take? Nehemiah said at a time, we say, you're in, let's just call it, you're in a five-year journey here, but man, we're going to keep working. We're going to work. We're going to work through this. Question one, hey, what's going on? Question two is, what do you really, really want? Question three, how long is it going to take to work on this? Question four, Nehemiah two, question four is implied, not stated, but it, the question, fourth question is, what do you need for the journey? What we would call tools of recovery. Nehemiah says, first, I need TSA pre-check. I need clear if you fly like I do a lot. I need letters to be given to me that, that say I have the right passage. Just can I have a passport? You can show that that says you can get in here. I'm getting ready to go to Canada to lead uh, a group up there. And I have a passport that'll let me get in there and get back home. He said, I need letters, TSA pre-check that the king says, you're going to go over here and people are going to go, what are you doing coming through here? Here's my letter. Second thing he says, I need the supplies. I need to get to your keeper of your forest king, who is named ASAP. I need a blank credit card to Lowe's and Home Depot to go in and get, it says, the nuts, the bolts, the bars, the timber for the walls we're going to rebuild. we got to rebuild this relationship. The, the uh, temple, you need a place of worship that I'm going to rebuild and for the house that I'm going to occupy. So those are four questions there. And then it takes time because they have to then get after the rebuilding blow by blow by blow by blow. But you can start with those four questions found again in Nehemiah chapter two. Well, it, it is always interesting when you just kind of look at someone and go, you know, what do you want? What do you need? And um, yeah. it's like, ah, ah, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, that's just even part of the whole kind of, you know, counseling, coaching, whatever we call it's it, true. whatever the stuff yeah. we do, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's a, it, it's awareness Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and so often, I mean, that, that's on both sides of the fence, um, of like Very just this growing awareness and, you know, um, not only aware of what's going on in the present, uh, but aware of what's going on, um, in, in front of me and what's going on inside of me and, you know, all the great, you know, uh, church fathers, uh, throughout history talked about, you know, the journey of God is an, is an inward yeah. The journey to God is an inward journey. That's right. And, and, and you know, when this level of um, crisis shows up, um, it, it is certainly an opportunity uh, to, for growth into uh, mm-hmm. our awareness, uh, who we are, and certainly who God is. Uh, not, not, the, not the church Jesus, but the real one. Uh, those two That's are right. very different. Um, and so, you know, Oh, we always say, you know, if you trust this process, um, there is hope. Um, and even if somehow divorce happens, um, man, this will be the best thing that you've ever done in your own life. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll pay dividends for generations. Well, it cuts the pretense and, and your second rest of Nehemiah chapter two and then moving into three. But as Nehemiah then goes and he just quietly walks as I did ground zero. And he sees, and he goes through the different gates and openings and sees the walls, and he's there. And I love it because he went out at night and kept his mouth shut. He said, I told no one 
because chapter one ends, Nehemiah says, I'm going to go rebuild. He says, and you get to do this. You get to do this, folks. People say, well, Norman Vincent Peale, Joel Osteen, whoever, whatever, is like, you get to say, he said, God, I pray, would you grant us success? I've prayed that with many couples in my office, success in this work, in this intensive, and I need favor before the king. That's in the word of God. Favor is not a new concept. You get to pray that, but then he has to walk and he doesn't blab and tell everybody, I'm in counseling. He keeps his mouth shut, told no one. He walks, he says, I need to walk. That's what we do with couples. We now need to walk the ground zero of this. And there's three ground zero. Sir, there's your ground zero. That means going back into your life story. Ma'am, there's your back. And that's a Southern thing to say, ma'am, right? It's like to say that a woman, we got to look at your personal ground zero, including your childhood, naming, not blaming, and then the marital ground zero. We need to survey the land and say that and to walk through the sights, the sounds, the smells and say, this is as bad as, as I thought, or it is worse. And a lot of times, the acting out that a guy's done, he's numbed out from reality. Now we're saying, you didn't face your pain and your childhood wounds or whatever, and you numbed out with porn, masturbation, affairs, what have you. Now we're going to take your drug away, no porn, no masturbation, no sexually acting out, and walk you non-anesthetically right into your pain. We don't just take them and put them in a full Nelson and drag them into it. But we're going to say you've wired your brain and body for years, numbing out, usually since some level of childhood, and now no anesthesia and face your pain to go in. And a lot of recovery, if you'll hear the line, a lot of the healing and recovery, the truth is, a lot of recovery has not been tried and found difficult. No, the truth is a lot of recovery has been found difficult and left untried. Mm. There's about a six-month cliff in. It's in Nehemiah. In moving into chapter three and four, they were halfway through, success was going on, and then they got weak and said, there's still so much rubble to be removed by ourselves, we can't do it, and they got discouraged. So a lot of neurochemistry, like, I'll do anything to save my marriage early on or whatever, and then you see it, Karn's found it about six months in, can be like, it's boring. Yeah. Yeah, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. You know, it's, it's interesting, Jim. Uh, like you know, uh, marriage marriage is on the decline, uh, and uh, you know we, we live in the you know since the sixties this idea of like you know free love, free sex, and you know whatever you do, it doesn't matter. It's great. Um, but what's interesting to me is um, this idea when when betrayal happens in a committed relationship. Dude, the response, the human response is very consistent. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen it. I've seen it. We see it every day. And like, okay, if if we're, you know, kind of this sophisticated about love and relationships today, why is that so consistent? And uh, even I talk about it, I, I just, we believe that it is, it is the, it is the soul connection that occurs in the physical bonding of sex and that is just evidence uh, of the god stamp on all of our lives i mean we can deny the existence of god and we can um certainly um you know like just you know not not want to be a part of any kind of faith community and i mean that makes sense with some of the stuff we're seeing in these organizations and institutions mm-hmm. yeah. however it's like the reality of God is is proven 
with this betrayal trauma that occurs, uh, I just, man, to, it, it, is, it is just so real, and we can try to deny it, but boy, it's just consistent, consistent in that response, that reaction that occurs when this stuff shows up. Yeah, and I love how you've tied even back to the idea with God, uh, because one of the things, if, if I may riff on this for just a second, is I always tell people, if I am angry at a person, I just don't want to obsess, but I want to always inventory that there's a thread that you have betrayed me, and nobody's getting out alive. We're all been betrayed at some level because it'll just happen to some relationship, and no, I'm not comparing that to the partner trauma on, on a more large scale. But the idea is a thread running right through you, Roan. You've hurt me. And I always say, well, does the thread run through there and go straight vertical up to God? God, why would you allow this to happen? I think a lot of people miss that God piece, which I'll set, you've seen it, you know, I'll set a person down in an empty empty chair in front of them and say, talk to God, like the biblical characters, David, others, even Peter, I mean, give him a break. It's like to sit down and say, yeah, God, you know what? You've allowed this to happen. Why would you do this? Or maybe even now Jim's taking me, Roan's taking me back, Eva's taking me back into my family, looking at childhood. And yeah, why didn't you protect me even from my own mom, dad, family, uncle, whoever? And so that piece is to go, where does my, where do I feel the God betrayal? And because I can use the Greek word afiemi about forgiveness means to cancel the debt. Yes, I say to my clients, many of you are going to have to look at ready, forgiving God. Well, you're using the word forgiving. I know I'm using the Greek word that means to cancel the debt. Well, the Bible says that God be true and every person a liar. Did God betray you truly? That's not at all what I'm saying. God can handle it. Say, Lord, my experience is I have a story in my head. I feel like you've also betrayed me. And God can handle it. He'd rather take that than pretense walking around all pious or in denial. And God says, I think God looks and says, tell me more. Let's talk. And for me, beautifully pictured in the movie and the book that my friend Paul Young wrote, The Shack. And to go in when Papa looks at Mac and says, Mac, I'm not who you think I am. And then Paul Young talked about in his own writing of that, that he had to keep, you know, we're in a, we've been in a mask society for a while during this pandemic. He had, Paul said, who wrote The Shack, I had to keep taking mask after mask after mask off God and finally give God his face. So that line is to go and say, ultimately, Lord, You've betrayed me somehow. And sometimes there's a lot of resistance. I'll find it's not Christian. I can't think that I don't even look that God's betrayed me. I go, don't look that you're not ready. But in the end, there's a point. The imprecatory Psalms of David saying, basically, God, if I were running the universe, I wouldn't allow this. What are you doing? And David says, oh, you're God and I'm not. But God can take that to look at the betrayal that is more, I call it the pebble in the pond. My spouse has betrayed me sexually. That's the pebble. It goes down, but the ripples can go on to all kinds of things. And I think you just alluded to this, Roan, concluding my point here. I find that this is not, hey, go have an affair or go be in porn. But I found, I know you found, that one of the weirdest realities, maybe one of the most wonderful realities, is because this infidelity happened, maybe Genesis 50, 20, what someone meant for harm, God meant for good, is it wakes me up and rips the veneer and the shellac off of my maybe fake Christian life or something, that if couples will do the work, like you and Lisa, uh, you and uh, I know who Eva is, you and uh, Eva have done Sex, God, Chaos, and to work through these things, 
people would say we were almost, as Jim says, we were more in a mirage than a marriage. I don't want that. And that's prescriptive. No, that's just descriptive. We describe it that, hey, everybody have an affair so you can wake up and have a real marriage. No. But coming out of that is to look and say, we're going to rebuild this freedom tower like is down there at ground zero. And to say, we were living a fake, fig leafed up marriage. And that's where we've seen couples have have intimacy, intimacy, relational connection like they've never had before. I know you've seen it too. Oh, yeah. We, you know, our, we just talk about our process is kind of this movement from false intimacy to true intimacy. It's yeah. the marriage God intended you to have. And, you know, we've seen many, many, many couples um, not only survive this, but actually thrive. Um, you know, you and I are living examples of that, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, you know, you and Jessica, y'all's relationship, and holy cow, you know, um, it's a beautiful thing. And even yeah. I, and, you know, that stage of life that you and I are both in, Jim, with grandbabies and all that. Love man, it. Yeah. Holy cow, there's nothing, <clears throat> nothing better, you know? And, uh, but, but, you know, we're there in that place because, you know, I mean, we, we were we were willing to do the work of, of our recovery uh, from our sexual brokenness, and you know God blessed us. We had two wives that were willing uh, to do their work um, in their recovery. Um, and uh, man, it's just like if if you do this work, it, it boy, it, it it's it it's the abundant life. Uh, it, yes, it's not, not the perfect life because life is hard. Um, and marriage is not easy. You know, it's a cat and a dog trying to get along in a dryer running. And so well, there's a metaphor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, man, you, you, you can actually make it work, you know? Um, so man, uh, I am just, it's always good to hang out. Like I say, you and I could, um, I, we could just do this, um, all day long. Uh, just, yeah. Can't, it is fun, um, and it's, it is. it's fun doing life together with uh, with people you love. Uh, yes, amen. So, man, I um, certainly appreciate you taking the time and, um, mm-hmm. and thank you being on with us. And uh, we will uh, we will be uh, continuing uh, our ongoing conversations. Uh, yes. So. Uh, Love you, my brother, and uh, love you too, buddy. Enjoy our time together always. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, bro. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.